calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. You are listening to episode 13 of Quarter Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Previously on Quarter Share. Doesn't everybody have something to sell? And if we all got together, we could amortize the cost of a booth across all the goods. The ship had rented booth 478 at Marguerite Station's flea market for a duration of four days beginning at 0800 the following morning. It was listed in the name of McKendrick Mercantile Cooperative. The captain's fingers strayed to the blue fabric, and she stroked it gently. This banner has dressed more than one sales table, so you're carrying on a proud tradition. Chapter 21, Marguerite Station, 2352, January 11. It was just after 1800 when I stepped onto the mess deck, and I took advantage of mealtime by grabbing some pasta and bread from the buffet. Pip heard me and came out of the galley, and I could see Cookie looking over his shoulder. "'How'd it go?' he asked. "'Great. I sold everything I had,' I told him. "'But I'm bushed. It's hard standing there all day.' Pip drew me a mug of coffee and delivered it to the table. "'Okay. Pleasantries over. Where'd you find that buckle?' he demanded with a grin. "'I didn't,' I said, around a mouthful of pasta. I swallowed and said, "'Bev did. Booth two-something.' 218, I think. No, 216. Shouldn't be hard to find. Pip nodded. So, tell me everything. I ran through the day in roughly chronological order, starting with picking up the banner at the lock and returning it. So, in the morning, you need to take the badge to the office and pick up a table. It's paid for already. Somewhere we need to find some clips so you can hang the banner, and also some kind of cloth to put down on the table to cover the top. They're in rough shape. Pip nodded. Now, your turn, I told him. The captain says you've been recruiting. He nodded. I got a couple of people who are going to help me. Ron Sham has a ton of stuff to sell, and she's agreed to be my wingman for the day. She's good at buying, but hasn't had a lot of success at selling, so she was really enthusiastic. Sean Grishin from the bridge crew, Biddy Murphy from Cargo are coming along, too. Sounds like it's going to be worthwhile tomorrow, too, I said. Oh, by the way, we have an appointment tonight at 2000. Yeah, Pip asked. Who with? The captain. She wants a status report. Pip chuckled nervously. Well, at least we got status to report. I finished my dinner and took the dishes into the galley. Cookie smiled and waved to us as he left for his nightly card game. You gentlemen don't need me underfoot. Well done today, both of you. 
We waved at his back as he left. It was a work of a few ticks for Pip and I to clear away the dinner buffet and sweep and swab. We had a stand to spare before our meeting with the captain, so we retired to the berthing area to compare notes. Bev was back from the sauna by then, and we got the packet of buckles out to show Pip. We spread them out on the table there in the berthing area, and he looked them all over. "'What did you think of the day, Bev?' Pip asked. She grinned and said, "'Oh, it was a kick. Between the selling and the oogling—' "'Oogling?' Pip interrupted. He looked at me. "'You didn't say anything about oogling.' I shrugged, and he turned back to Bev. "'What is this oogling of which you speak?' She laughed. Well, between the ones who came to see the tough bitch in leather and the ones who came to look down Diane's blouse, there was a lot of oogling. I might have been doing a bit myself, she teased. There were a lot of tight butts walking around there today. She looked at me. Don't you think? I coughed in surprise. Um, <coughs> I didn't notice, actually. I was trying to figure out how the booth thing was going to work. And then I got tied up selling stuff and all. Oh, ish, she chided. You were too busy watching the merchandise. If you're going to really be a seller, you need to learn to watch the customers. That last belt you could have got another five credits for. That lady liked you. She was old enough to be my mother, I protested. So, your point is what? Pip rapped the table. Please, children, focus. Bev sat up straight and folded her hands playfully in front of her. Anyway, she continued, the initial setup was rough. We looked like the amateurs we are. If we hadn't had the banner, we'd have been displaying the belts on that dinged-up tabletop. It wouldn't have been pretty. Pip nodded. If we hang the banner, we'll need a cloth or something for the table. Anything else? Several of the vendors had grav pallets, with their booth basically set up on it, I said. They just towed them into place, locked them down, and started selling. Pip nodded. Yeah, Drews Martin had one under her leather-working bench, but I don't know how we worked that. We can't very well use one of the ships, and we can't afford the mass to buy one of our own. He shrugged. Thermos bottle of coffee would have been good, Bev said. There's a shop around the corner, but the coffee was expensive and muddy, I chimed in. The only other thing I really missed was a place to sit between sails. My feet and legs are killing me. Bev nodded. Did you see those folding chairs that What's-Her-Name had in her booth? Oh, you mean Virgil's wife? Yeah, Bev said. They had tubular frames with a mesh seat and back. It looked very light. When things got busy, she just folded up and stashed it under the table. Yeah, I did see those, I said, but I didn't know where we'd find them or, or how we'd stow them. Pip pondered. I wonder if we can rent them. Bev and I both shrugged. He turned back to the buckles. These are exquisite, he said. What booth again? Bev said 216. He's expecting to see you. His only concern is we take him off station to sell so he's not competing against himself in the flea market. Pip nodded. That was the same thing that Drews Martin was worried about in Kugara. He turned to me. How many of the belts should we try to fit with buckles and take on to St. Cloud? I shrugged. You know better than I do. We were selling the bare belts for 30 to 40 creds each. That buckle should drive that up to 50 or 60. Oh, more than that, Bev objected. She went to her locker and pulled out the belt she'd put the buckle on in the booth. Look at this. It's worth at least a hundred creds. She strapped it on around her waist and let it ride low on her hips. She was wearing the standard ship's tee and boxers that we all wore around the birthing area to sleep in. I found I really didn't breathe right all of a sudden. And Pip said dryly, Well, if you model them like that, I think we can get a lot more. Bev looked down and laughed. She took the belt off then and laid it on the table. You get my meaning, wise-ass, she said, still laughing. Luckily, my tablet bipped to remind me the captain was expecting us just then. Pip and I headed off for officer country while Bev stowed the belt and buckles back in her locker. Are you okay? Pip asked as we headed down the passage. Yeah, I said. Why? He shrugged elaborately. Oh, I don't know. You just seemed like you were having trouble breathing there for a tick. I slugged him in the shoulder as we arrived at the captain's door, and I knocked before he could say anything else. He was grinning when the captain said, Come, from the other side of the door. 
She was sitting at her desk when we entered. We braced in the approved handbook fashion, and I said, Carstairs and Wang reporting as ordered, sir. Thank you for coming, gentlemen, she said. Please sit down. She nodded at two chairs. Make yourselves comfortable, and tell me how the Enterprise is faring. I gave my recap, and Pip gave his. We tried to be brief and succinct. "'You'll have enough to sell for the rest of our stay, then?' she asked. "'It looks that way, sir, although it really depends on how well the goods move "'and how many of the crew have goods for us to sell. "'Of course,' she said. "'Pip smiled. "'If we sell everything we have before we leave, I don't think I'll mind.' "'The captain chuckled. "'No doubt.' "'She turned serious then. "'Now, about this reimbursement to the ship.' "'Pip glanced at me before going on. "'Well, sir, this isn't, strictly speaking, ship's business.' "'She nodded. "'Go on. "'While it's not a lot of credit in the grand scheme of things, it... "'Seemed like it's not something that should be a ship's expense.' "'I nodded. "'Yes, sir, I agree with him. "'I appreciate, we appreciate the chance to sell our stuff "'and help the crew sell theirs, too, but...' "'Pip finished for me. "'Well, actually, we have no idea what the right thing is, "'so we split the cost and offered to reimburse the ship.' "'Who is we?' the captain asked. "'Pip and I,' I said. "'So you two are underwriting this for the rest of the crew to take advantage of.' "'Pip and I glanced at each other.' Well, I don't know that we'd thought of it that way, Pip said, but fundamentally, yes, sir. She nodded. Very altruistic of you, she began, and very short-sighted. Sir? said Pip. If this little hobby of yours takes off, the crew will be selling hundreds, if not thousands, of creds in your booth, the booth you two are paying good creds for. We shrugged, almost in unison. True, sir, but we'll benefit as well. The overhead's low and it's fixed. Cost doesn't go up as we sell more stuff. She nodded. That's true as far as it goes, but you've not thought this through. Are you two going to chew up your personal mass allotments for the materials you need in the booth? Are you planning to continue this beyond Marguerite? Are you both going to use up your liberty time for every port we visit? Pip started to object, but I could see where the captain was heading, so I forestalled him by speaking up. You're right, sir. We haven't thought this through. With your permission, we'll work Marguerite out the way we've started as best we can. We'll have five weeks to St. Cloud afterwards to assess and plan for something better. Can we come back and meet with you about it after we've had a chance to put our heads together out in the deep dark? The captain nodded. Not a bad plan at all, Mr. Huang. Permission granted. Any time you want to talk to me about this, please bit me for an appointment. Anything else? Pip and I shared a glance before we said, No, sir. She smiled then and said, Very well, gentlemen. Dismissed. As we made our escape down the passage, Pip turned to me and said, she never did say what she was going to do about the forty creds for the booth rental. I shrugged. It's probably coming out of petty cash anyway. If the regs say we can't rent the booth, then it probably has to go on the books as a ship expense anyway. Pip nodded as we continued down the passage. Yeah, I can see that, but it's not rented by the ship. I remembered then. The confirmation had come to the McKendrick Mercantile Cooperative. Pip glanced at me significantly. What is the McKendrick Mercantile Cooperative? I asked. He shrugged. I thought I knew, but I'm not so sure now. Pip, I said I just remembered something else odd. He looked over at me, but we didn't stop walking. When we came back and made our mass adjustments? Pip nodded. That banner was pretty heavy, and I wondered where it would be charged, you, me, or Bev. Where'd it come from? he asked. The watch officer gave it to us this morning with the captain's compliments, she said. Really? So, did they charge the mass back to her then? I shook my head. No, I sort of expected that, too, but no. It was charged to Lois McKendrick. You mean the ship? I shook my head. No, the ship gear gets tagged as ship in the logs. This was the name, Lois McKendrick. Pip thought for a tick before he said, But she's dead, isn't she? 
I slugged him. Dead or not, she's apparently a member of the crew, you goof. We didn't say any more until we'd made it to the gym for a nightly workout. I was fogged from the exhaustion of the day at the flea market and the very confusing evening that followed. I wanted to run a few laps, steam my sore muscles in the sauna, and then take a cold shower to forget about how that belt had looked strapped low around Big Bad Beverly's hips. Later, back in my bunk, I started thinking about Lois McKendrick, and I remembered the captain's comments about proud tradition and the way her fingers had stroked the fabric where it lay on the table covered with our trade goods. I pulled out my tablet and pulled up the ship's record. Sure enough, there was an entry on the history from the beginning when it was built in the Manchester yard over in the New Hebrides quadrant. The ship itself wasn't all that old. Nineteen stands, one more than me, and it was named after one Lois Marie McKendrick. McKendrick was a trade organizer from back in the old days when the companies controlled all the production on planet. In those days, if you lived on a company planet and did anything besides work for the company, like if you were a hobby gardener or your spouse knit sweaters or something like that, then all that production belonged to the company that owned the planet. It would have been like if my mother had written a textbook on ancient lit on Nerys. Under the old rules, Nerys Company would have owned the copyright and gotten all the royalties. I read about this in history. The books didn't really say what changed. If this blurb on the ship was to be believed, this Lois Marie McKendrick organized an opposition against the new Anglican Planetary Development Company in New Edinburgh. She and her group won the right for people to make things that the company didn't own. Her movement caught on and spread not just in the New Hebrides, but all through the organized galaxy. In a lot of ways, it led to the burst of trade and prosperity that allowed for the development and deployment of the big sailing freighters and the trading houses that had grown up since. Apparently, Lois McKendrick died shortly before the ship was built and named for her, but her great-granddaughter was there to do the christening. There was a blurry digital of a young woman swinging a bottle of champagne against the airlock combing. It wasn't until I read the caption, Cargo Second Alice McKendrick Jagone, Christens Federated Freight's newest solar clipper, the 43K-ton Lois McKendrick, that I recognized a younger version of our captain. Under it was a digital of a group of people standing in front of a familiar large blue banner with silver letters that read McKendrick Mercantile Cooperative. Front and center was a straight-backed woman with a warm smile, holding the shoulders of a young girl standing just in front of her. On either side of her were half a dozen folks of various ages, and the caption read, Lois McKendrick, center, stands with the members of the McKendrick Mercantile Cooperative outside the courthouse in New Edinburgh. Judging from the looks, I guessed this was when the Galactic Circuit Court ruled in their favor. I also couldn't be sure, but I was willing to bet that I recognized that little girl. Chapter 22, Margaret Station, 2352, January 12. Next morning in the galley, Pip was getting some breakfast before heading out to do his stint at the flea market and we were looking over the information on our tablets. Okay, Pip said, that explains where the name and the banner came from, but why did the captain give it to us to use? That makes perfect sense to me, I said. It's probably been sitting in storage for the last however long, and when we started going on about renting the flea market booth, she broke it out. That part makes sense. Cookie broke in. The captain was cargo before she went to the academy to get her officer's stripes. As I understand it, her whole family is in trading one way or another. I nodded. See, that's all part and parcel. Very consistent. I mean, this ship is named for her great-grandmother, and if that's really her in this picture, then they were very close. Pip said, So? What's not consistent? 
"'Who's Lois McKendrick?' I asked. "'You just answered that.' I shook my head. "'Not that, Lois McKendrick. The one who has the banner registered on her mass allotment.' Cookie chuckled. "'Oh, that's traditional, young Ishmael. That's the ship's puka, a kind of spirit. There's always an honorary crew berth for the person for whom a ship is named. It's an unpaid berth, of course, and the person appears on no duty roster. But that berth shares all the other benefits of being a member of the crew.' By tradition, a vessel's captain can use that crew as a kind of alter ego, to do things for the ship, a scapegoat for random acts of kindness. So, over on the Duchamp, there's actually a berth for Marcel Duchamp, Pip asked. Cookie nodded. Exactly so, Pip. It gets peculiar on some ships, particularly those named for cities or animals, but their tradition is common. Pip just shook his head. Live and learn. He rose to take his dishes to the galley, and while he was gone, Cookie pulled a package out and put it on his place at the table. He winked, held a finger to his lips quickly, and followed Pip into the galley. When Pip got back, he asked me, What's this? I just shrugged. I don't know. Looking inside, Pip pulled out some drapery clips and a dark blue cloth. Perfect, Pip exclaimed. Where'd this come from? I shrugged. Dunno. Must have been Lois. I could see Cookie peeking out from the galley. Pip chuckled and called out, Thanks, Lois, as he left. Some of the watchstanders came in for breakfast then, and I told Cookie to finish his coffee. Omelets? I could do. It felt good, but before long he was there helping me and eventually elbowing me off to make coffee and set bread. The man wasn't happy unless he was feeding somebody, so I left him to it and filled in where I could. Beverly came in for breakfast, got a mushroom omelet, one of the first of the new crop, and pronounced it good. I told her about the meeting with the captain and showed her the entry about Lois McKendrick on my tablet with a picture of the banner. That's interesting, she said. What do you suppose it means? What part of it, I asked, the fact that she rented the booth in the name of the cooperative, or she gave Pip and I a short but pungent lecture on letting the rest of the crew take advantage of our booth, or the very strong sense I got from her that she's expecting Pip and I to do something somehow, and that she'll support us if we do, but we have to figure out what it is on our own? Bev shrugged. I don't know. All the above, maybe. Bev had to leave then and go back to her duty station. I went back to the galley and let the daily routine distract me from thinking about it. The routine felt good and I sank into it like a hot bath and let it carry me through the day. After lunch I went down to environmental. When I stepped through the hatch, Diane and Brilla were there looking at one of the oxygen scrubbers. Brilla was telling Diane, We're going to have to change out the matrix, I guess. Diane nodded with a grimace. She saw me walk in and said, Just in time. You here to work or flirt? I chuckled, Both if I can get away with it. Brilla said, well, you'll have to flirt with her. I've got quarterlies to finish. What's up, I asked, nodding at the scrubber. The Matrix is starting to die out and it needs to be replaced, Diane said. It's really a two-person job, Brillo added, but I have to finish this paperwork if I'm going to get off the ship tomorrow. Diane is all alone this watch. How long will it take, I asked. Two stands if we get cracking, said Diane. Well, I got two stands before I have to get back at the galley. Let's get on with it. Thanks, Ish. Brillo chucked me on the arm. You're a peach. Yeah, soft and fuzzy with a hard wooden core. I know. I smiled. No problem. I turned to Diane. Okay, I'm at your disposal. Where do we start? The next two stands went fast. Diane was as good in the scrubber as she'd been in the booth the day before. The crux of the work was that we had to strip out the old algae matrix from the frames, wash down the frames, string up new matrix, and re-inoculate it with algae. It would be about a half a day before the algae settled in and started producing oxygen, so it was important to do this fast. This is one of the least favored jobs in environmental, and every scrubber had to be rematrixed every month. The process wasn't difficult. The matrix material itself, the film that held the algae, 
was held in a frame made up of two halves which sandwiched the matrix material and held it taut. We pulled the frame out of the scrubber unit, released the clips that held the front and back together, separated the half, and rolled the old matrix out like a kind of slimy brown jelly roll a meter long and a half a meter thick. Then we had to wash the frame down, roll in fresh material, stretch and smooth it down before locking the front and back frames together again. With the new matrix in place, Diane used a sprayer to coat the matrix with new algae in a uniform layer. The frame could then be replaced in the scrubber. The process wasn't difficult, but there were 48 frames that needed to be replaced. In order to prevent cross-contamination, we had to pull out all the frames, strip them all down, and wash everything off before we could start reassembling and hanging them back in the scrubber. It was tedious, wet, slimy work for the whole two stands. When we got done, we were soaked and exhausted, and I needed to get back to the galley to help Cookie. Diane and Brillo both thanked me profusely for helping out, but it was kind of fun, really. Diane is what my mom would have called good people, and had that wicked sense of humor that made even that tedious exercise fun. And she looked good in a mucky wet ship suit. Who could argue with that? I was a few ticks late, but Cookie just waved it off. Brillo called to explain you may be delayed, young Ishmael, he said in his languid way. If you can spend your free time helping out another department, then I can forgive your being four ticks late to fix dinner. One thing, though, he said. I know I finished for him. The coffee's empty. He smiled beatifically. Just so, young Ishmael, just so. Dinner consisted of mushroom, ham, and spinach quiche with fresh crusty rolls and green beans. Cookie made one of his famous granapple pies for dessert, which made a nice treat for the watchstanders. About half-past dinner, Pip came in, still in his civvies, looking tired but happy. He grabbed a wedge of quiche and some green beans and sat with us at the mess table to compare notes. Good, I asked, sliding him a cup of coffee. He nodded, but you were right about the long day standing there. How much did you sell, I asked. He strung me along a tick, pretending to be too hungry to answer, but finally said, Pretty much everything. I looked at Cookie and back at Pip. When you say everything, you mean what? Everything, said Pip, that we'd planned to, and then some more. I left ten belts for St. Cloud here in my locker, but I probably could have sold those too. The prices started going up as the pile dwindled. I don't even know what the final total is yet. I haven't had a chance to look. You're kidding. Pip shook his head no. The banner looked really good hanging there, and the tablecloth was exactly the right size and shape. The color showed off the belts perfectly. That Lois is pretty clever. He pulled out his tablet then and pulled up the accounting function. Okay, we took in 3,540 creds, less than 350 it cost for the 70 belts. We made about uh, 3,190 credits today. There was silence for at least a full tick before Cookie said quietly, Young Ishmael, you might close your mouth now. How did the others do? I asked dazedly. Ron and Biddy did well. Ron had some very nice fabrics and a huge collection of entertainment cubes. Biddy had small wooden and stone carvings, mostly stylized animals. Very popular and very expensive. They both sold out. I don't know how much they made. It seemed rude to ask, but they were both giggling like schoolgirls afterwards. Sean Grishin had lace doilies, and they evaporated off the table. He sold out by noon. Lace doilies? You mean like the little round things? I asked. Pip nodded. He makes them. By the looks, he's darn good at it, too. He makes them, I asked. Here, on the ship? Yep, Pip nodded. He knits, too. Claims sailors on the clipper ships in the old days used to do it to pass the time. He's been teaching himself for the last couple of stan years. They sold well, so to each his own, I guess. 
Excellent. What'd the belt buckle guy say? He'll give us a price, probably between ten and fifteen creds, depending on quantity. But we have to take him off station. I explained we're leaving for St. Cloud in a couple of days, so that wasn't an issue. That was really all he wanted. What's the mass look like, I asked as I pulled up my quota on my tablet. I've got about eight kilos. Pip nodded. I've got a little more, but about the same. The question is, how many belt buckles do we buy? We can't afford that many, I started to say, and then I noticed Pip's grin. Three thousand creds will buy a lot of belt buckles, he said wryly. How many do you think we can put in eight kilos of mass? Cookie was smiling. You gentlemen should think about this carefully, I think. Pip, you should either get off the ship or into a ship suit. Young Ishmael needs to clean up the galley and mess deck. Then you'll both be free for the evening to discuss this all you like. We both nodded, and I floated through the next stand or so of work. Thanks for listening to episode 13 of Quarter Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is from the Lucky Black Cat, a hornpipe in A minor, recorded by James Curran and available on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 2.5 license. For website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.durandus.com/golden. Thank you.